Blog Talk Radio. Black Politics Today on I for What's at Stake in Global Politics and your source for the social, economic, and political impact of public policy on the African-American community. Your host, Kelly Michael Williams, is a political strategy veteran with an undefeated campaign record and the political experience that spans nearly three decades, from Mayor Willie Brown in California to President Barack Obama in our nation's capital. So get ready for a fresh and honest approach on the politics that affect you and your family the most. Now, your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kelly Michael Williams. So glad to have you here tonight. Of course, as we always do, I'd just like to welcome you to another broadcast, What's at Stake, right here on Black Politics Today. Um, I hope that you uh, had an enjoyable week last week, or at least leading up to this week anyway. Uh, You know, we start our our week on Sundays, I guess, right? So uh, starting out so far, so good. Um, I look at it as in uh, the fact that I woke up this morning, that was good. Uh, Woke up in my right mind, that was good. Woke up, didn't have no too many aches and pains. That was good. <laughs> I didn't get no calls of anyone passing away, so that was good. I didn't have no problems, you know, with somebody calling and saying, hey, can I borrow some money? That was even better. I didn't have no problems with that either. So as, as, as my man Ice Cube would say, today is a good day. And then you turn on the news. And then you find out. Oh, man, not again. What the what is going on? So, hey, I guess as long as I ain't got nobody calling me asking me for no money, I ain't got nobody calling me telling me I owe them some money, and nobody calls saying anybody passed away in in the household or in the family, I I guess everything is good. So I hope that your week has started off as well as mine has. Um, and that you're getting as much out of it as you can. And last week was good for you as well. Uh, But, you know, every day is a different day. Um, Tonight I was going to be going over, um, you know, uh, uh, Texas Hold'em and and the laws in Texas, and we're still going to do that, and and Georgia and dealing with the voter suppression and things like that. But something had me going through uh, looking at, uh, last week's uh, broadcast and, and, and um, Elder uh, Alderman uh, Simmons and reparations and, and where we stand with that. And as I looked and did more research and, and um, checked more things out, there's a number of cities that are now starting to actually put reparations in place locally. And hopefully that will lead to something nationally but they're doing similar to what uh, Alderman Simmons has done, and they're looking at what has happened in their cities and their communities and their states and what laws and policies have been in place that have prevented African Americans from gaining an equal footing 
And so a number of different localities have been doing that. <clears throat> and quite frankly, <clears throat> in the past, we've actually had local localities, uh, cities, and states doing that. Now, nationally, we've also paid reparations. We just haven't paid them to black folks um, to any degree. Let me say that, to any degree, as we have paid to others. Um, but uh, the, the reality of it is, is that we, we have uh, over, I think it's now 400 bills that are going to restrict voter access for, for basically African-Americans, black and brown folks, um, and, diff- and 47 states. Then we have reparations going on in Congress, as well as in Evanston, Illinois, and um, other jurisdictions. But I also wanted to uh, talk about, and, and, and I, I was trying to pull up the video so I can play the video. I, I, I can't get the video. I'm going to try to play it on CNN.com uh, and, and post it up. I just don't like doing that because of all the things that we have to do. But I'm going to try to play the uh, Windsor, Virginia police video and, and talk about that as well um, as we look at this and, um, and go forth and and what we have to deal with. Uh, like I said, you know, everything is great. And then you wake up and turn on the news and you'd be like, oh, man, say it ain't so. Um, but, I mean, as, as we look at this uh, from the standpoint of, of the 47 states and, and what's happening and what they're trying to do, um, what that means in your state, um, it may very be, it may very be, I think I'm saying that properly, um, that your state will have a voter suppression law. And one of the things I was going to challenge you guys tonight on is doing some Google searches and finding out if your state is one of the states of the 47 that has a voter uh, voter law that's going to restrict your access to voting. Because here's the reality of it. <laughs> now that it's expanded to 47 states, that literally everyone's going to be affected. Uh, I think the only state that isn't is California, um, maybe uh, um, um, Delaware, I think, possibly, and I think it may be uh, 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 Washington or Oregon, one of those two. Um, I'm not quite sure uh, exactly which, and we'll pull that up as well. But 47 states um, have a voter restriction or a voter suppression bill that has been introduced in their state legislature and possibly impact you and your family. So here's the deal. If, if, it's, in, if it's not in your state, it might be in one of your relative states. So let them know. You know, reach out to them, tell them, send them to the right information because they're purging voter rolls, they're making it more difficult for you to vote absentee, now they're saying that it can't be um, no excuse. Now you have to have an excuse. Now you have to, you know, we're not going to match your signature. We're going to match your ID. All right, I can give you all of that. But the bottom line for me is we didn't need an ID to vote until Barack Obama got elected. But that's, that's, that's the bottom line. We need an ID to vote for George Bush, either one of them. We need an ID to vote for Clinton, we didn't even need to vote to vote for Obama the first time. We didn't need an ID to vote for anybody before then. 
And from then to now, we still have not had voter fraud to any significant extent that would make a difference. That would make a difference. We haven't had it. So because of that, the only reason now that you're requiring people to go out and get IDs is because you're trying to stop them and block them from being able to vote. Because you know a lot of poor folks don't have IDs. That's black and white and Latino. And you know a lot of uh, folks who have come out of the penal system don't necessarily have IDs. And so you are, in essence, putting a poll tax on them to go get IDs. So when my caller last week or a week before last, I think it was, saying, well, I support the Georgia law. There's nothing racist about it. Yeah, yeah, there is. We didn't need an ID until Obama got elected. And then, ironically, in 2013, after he's elected, the Supreme Court says, oh, we're doing away with uh, Title V. No, we don't need to we don't need to check in any longer in Mississippi, in Alabama, in Georgia, you know, in North Carolina or South Carolina or Louisiana. We don't need to check anymore. Or Texas. No, we you don't have anything to worry about right now because so many black people voted for Obama in two thousand and twelve and two thousand and eight. They voted more than white people did, so you don't need to worry about anything. Clearly, there's access to the voting polls. Simply because more people voted in one election, that hasn't happened except in that election. Nor the election did it happen in, where African Americans voted more than white folks. Nor the election except for 2012. And because of that, we throw out the baby with the bathwater? I mean, come on. Let's be real. So, I mean, when you think about it, you know, you need to check and see what's happening in your state capital. Um, Georgia, Texas, Arizona, Pennsylvania, you know, they're going to do what they got to do. Um, but uh, turn on your news. Watch your local news. Like I said, Google, check it out. Because the bottom line is this. Why America is not going to allow for black America to take over socially, economically, or politically. They're going to do everything they can to stop that because of what they've already said. They are fearful that black America would do to them what they have done to us. And when you verbally express that, then you know that you've done some stuff that was wrong. You know that you, what you have been doing and what you're currently doing and what you've done in the past was such an egregious act that now you're afraid of getting your own medicine. So come on now. When you sit there and you say, oh, wait a minute, I, I, we cannot allow all you black people to vote. I mean, a dude in Arizona said this. We can't allow everybody to vote because if everybody's voting, they don't know what they're voting for. That's not good voting. I, 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 we can't do that. No, no, no. That's not good. We don't want quantity. We want quality. We want the quality of the vote to count, not the quantity of the vote. So let's measure that. (laughs) Let's measure that. The quality of the vote. Okay. So he only wants people who are informed to be able to vote. 
reading between the lines, he only wants white folks to vote because they're informed, because white Republicans, white Republicans to vote, because they inform them about what they want them to vote for and vote on. But he doesn't want white Democrats or white independents who support Democrats or black folks and Asians or Latinos to vote who vote for Democrats because they're ill-informed. They, they don't know what they're voting for. So we don't want quantity. We have to have quality. Quality of the vote. So how, <laughs> how exactly do you measure that? <laughs> if they voted for all the initiatives and voted for you, then that's quality. That's good voting. Or if they voted for all the initiatives and voted for me, would that also be, be, be good quality of vote? No. Republicans don't want quality or quantity. They want only their folks to vote. That is just as ignorant and stupid as they are white because they went out there and voted for Donald Trump twice. And they voted for his ass when they knew he didn't know what the hell he was doing. When he knew that he was a liar, a cheat, a philanthropist, a philanderer, they knew. And they still voted for him. But that's the Republican trade book. that's, That's what they do. That's how they do it. And so when you have a Republican saying, we don't want the quantity of vote, we don't want the quality of vote, he's telling you exactly what he wants. He's telling you exactly what he's talking about because he doesn't think black and brown folks are smart enough, intelligent enough to be able to vote, that we're savages and we don't know how to vote. We're just doing this and doing that and we can't vote. That's what he's saying. And so... The audacity to put something out there like we don't want quantity, we only want quality, isn't in itself a racist statement. Now, people are going to say to me, well, all you're doing is saying white people this, white people that. Well, they're the ones that are doing it. Black folks aren't doing it. So I have to say white people because I need to distinguish between who's doing it and who's not doing it. And I'm specifically talking about white Republicans because white Republicans are the ones that are showing their true colors that they've had for years called the Southern strategy that they've had for years. So I have no problem saying white folks in that sense, because that's who I'm talking about them. And, and they are the ones who are out there looking to do exactly what they feel and believe is best for them and their party, but not the collective at hand. And that's where we fall into the problem with these 47 states, over 300, 400 bills coming out there looking to do harm to those folks who are looking to vote. And, and the whole idea is if, if um, we allow that to happen, if we continue to sit back and do nothing, if we don't really get active and get activated in this process, this political process, this social process, and this economic process, we're going to be left out. We're going to be left out and we're going to be in a hole because each time and in each of these state legislatures where these bills are being passed, they're being passed, and that's the direct link of what's going to affect you. A lot of national legislation 
it has to go through a number of different loops and holes to really impact your day-to-day life. A lot of it can economically for, for the most part, but a lot of the social and, and other economic and political impact happens at your local, for instance, in the Georgia bill. The Georgia law is going to strip the county officials who have either been elected or appointed to do the voter um, voter registration, uh, election cycles, voter um, voter uh, education, all that that you were talking about, and, 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 and responsible for the elections itself, those county officials in Georgia no longer have the power to do that. A Republican-controlled board is now going to take over the county to be able to say what votes are counted, what absentee ballots are counted, when and where ballot boxes are going to be put at, what times they're going to be able to get out there, and all this that is going to occur in, you know, less than two short years, November 2022. And because they can do that, because they passed this law and signed it into effect, that's what's going to happen. That's, that's what's going to happen. That, that's where we are. That's where we are. So ask yourself this question. Does my state have a voter suppression bill? And go out there, search the Internet, Google, find out, and then figure out what you need to do about it. And, you know, while we're broadcasting tonight, I want you to check. I want you to Google and find out if your state has one. And then I want you to hit us up in the comment section and let us know. Uh, Let us know what's going on and if, you know, there's something out there. Um, Hey, Tina, how you doing? Joining us and and, uh, watching in. Um, But that's what you have to do. I, I want you to check your state and find out if there's a voter suppression law in there. And then I want you to hit us up in the comment box and let us know what state it is. And if you can, find out what the law is going to do and let us know because it, we have to get involved. We have to get engaged, and we can't keep sitting on our ass trying to figure out or say somebody else is going to do it or it's okay, it's not going to affect me. Yeah, it's going to affect you unless you're white and Republican. Even if you're black and Republican, it's still probably going to affect you. Because unless you're in that segment, it's still going to affect your family. Because I don't know too many families. I know a number of black Republicans. But I don't know too many of them where mama, daddy, son, daughter, grandchildren, everybody else is falling in line. It's usually one of them or two of them out of the bunch that went and, you know, jumped on the the Trump wagon and are Republicans or became Republicans or have always been Republicans. I don't know. But it's only maybe usually one or two. So even their family members are going to be impacted. And we have to think about what's next. Because remember, unfortunately, Democrats only think about the current time. They're only thinking about today and tomorrow. Republicans are thinking about next week and the week after. So they're already planning. Once we pass this, then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that. So that come 2024, there's going to be so many darn bills and laws in place come up for the presidential election. Watch and see what happens. What's today? Today is April 12th, 7.20 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm telling you right now, right here. 
I will guarantee you, come 2024, especially in Georgia, and probably won't even have to wait to 2024 in Georgia, 2022, that Republican-controlled board is going to then throw out some ballots and throw out some votes that is going to ensure that Brian Kemp wins re-election <clears throat> unless it is so overwhelming that Stacey Abrams beats his behind like uh, uh, um, what's-his-name did, um, um, Warnock did in the Senate race. Unless it's like that, where it's a good two percentage points, a good 100,000 votes, they're going to throw out the votes. I guarantee you they're going to throw out the votes and they're going to try to do something with it and make sure that Kemp wins re-election. And that's why we have to be engaged now. That's why we have to look at it. So check it out and see and let us know. And then reparations, right? How is reparations impacting our voting rights? How does that reparations or the idea concept of reparations impact us um, in our cities, in our state, and nationally and globally? So think about it from this standpoint. <clears throat> I feel, and I, and I said this when I had um, the Alderman, in, uh, um, Alderman Simmons on last week, is that a lot of this to me feels like apartheid in that they're putting in a system that they want to legislate because once these laws get on the book, unless you repeal them or change them drastically in the courts, they're on the books. So they don't go anywhere. So this bill is there. Unless it gets changed, unless Democrats get in there or unless the corporations um, uh, pepper um, Kemp enough and put enough pressure on him to rescind his signature, which he can do until July, he can rescind uh, the, the bill up until July, but unless that happens, it's law. So it's not going to change. And because of that, it's there for life. It's going to be there, and you're going to have to fight the hurdles. So my thing is they're putting in bill, you know, legislation, they're putting in laws that are going to fundamentally change the way we operate and vote. And like I said, they want quality of vote, not quantity. Republicans know that when low voter turnout comes out, that typically means it's their voters and they win. <clears throat> High voter turnout comes out, is done. They typically do not win. It's usually Democrats who win because that means that black folks, Latinos, Asians, people who didn't vote before, they came out and voted. That's typically what it means. It doesn't always go that way, but that's typically what it means. So if that happens, then, of course, we can move. But if you knew or if you remember North Carolina, um, I think it's North Carolina was the main state in the last four or five elections. Democrats have voted in higher margins than Republicans have, but they haven't picked up any seats in their state legislature or in Congress. And the reason is, is because the way they redistrict and the way they drew the lines. They drew them so no matter how many votes Democrats would get, they still wouldn't be able to take over the state legislature or knock the people out they have in Congress. That has to change. Unfortunately, because we did not vote in 2020 to make that change, that's going to get worse in each one of your states where there is a Republican legislature and a Republican governor. Every one of your states where that is, that's what's going to happen. And there's going to be challenges over and over again, but 
hey, the Supreme Court's already said you can gerrymander based on race. You can gerrymander based on political affiliation. So if you can gerrymander based on race and ethnicity and political affiliation, what, what, else, what else can you do? There's nothing else you can do unless you get some judges to overturn that ruling and say, no, this is too egregious. You have to change it. That's the only way it's going to happen. Once the Supreme Court said, yeah, you can do this, and the corporations are people, and all this is happening, that's a strategy. That's a strategic strategy that Republicans have had and want to do and put in place. The Democrats have been sitting on their ass and sleeping and not paying attention to the Supreme Court, the circuit courts, the different federal courts. They haven't paid attention to those. And because of that, they have ended up putting themselves in this hole that they're going to have to live with. And unfortunately, we may have to live with until it gets changed. So let's look at this like this in terms of looking at reparations. Because America has paid reparations before. We've paid them. We just didn't pay them a whole lot to black folks. But we have paid them. So when you look at, at um, our history and you go back, and you look at um, uh, some of the things that have happened in, in terms of America being established and the new, 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 this new land that's here and everything's happened. Reparations started with um, American Indians. Native Americans were here first. Then you had white settlers coming here, trying to claim the land and basically fighting and killing Native Americans for the land. They basically stole the land, took the land, because Native Americans to them were like savages. You know, they were, you know, this, that, and the other. So they took the land from them, and we know the rest. You know, they took over. Uh, Native Americans were exiled, put someplace, you know, put over here. They made little certain treaties, and you said, okay, you can be over here, you can be over here. Um, and now what we have is there was uh, the, the um, Indian Claims Commission. Now, that did not occur until 1946. But in 1946, the Indian Claims Commission was a body designed to hear historic grievances of America. So what happened was Congress said, okay, we're going to look at what we did as a nation to Native Americans. So in 46, Congress decided to create the Indian Claims Commission. Claims, C-L-A-I-M-S, claims. So meaning that we can make claims against the federal government for what you did to us. And when they did that, they ended up passing a bill after that occurred that 176 tribes, received $1.3 billion. 176 tribes received $1.3 billion. They gave them a check, and they gave them an apology. Now, that happened in 46, and now what you may know, depending on where you live, there are a lot of Indian reservations in, like, South Dakota, New Mexico, uh, California, Nevada, places like that where they have casinos. Now, those casinos are tax-free casinos because they're on Indian reservations. They're on federal land. 
So they don't pay any federal taxes for all the billions of dollars that run into those casinos. That was another um, uh, caveat, if you will, that was carved out that when they gave them back some of their land, they were able to then put these casinos on that land, and now they don't have to pay taxes, federal taxes, on that, that, that money that comes in there. Now, black folks, they never had that. We didn't get our 40 acres. We didn't get our mule. We didn't get anything. And I'm not knocking, you know, Native Americans for that. No, they, they did what they supposed to do. And that's why a lot of you black folks, you say you got some Indian in you, you need to be checking your bloodline and see how much of you, you have. Because if you got a quarter, I think it's one, one fourth, you can claim Native American and then go get you a reservation or get you some land and put a casino on it. Because trust me, when that was happening, I think back in early 90s, shoot, everybody was trying to say, yeah, I'm Indian. <laughs> Look at my hair. I'm Indian. <laughs> I'm Indian. <laughs> so check it out and see, because a lot of um, Native American um, um, uh, uh, treaties, and not treaties, but um, uh, territories, um, reservations, you will have a casino on it. More cases than not, there's going to be a casino because they're not paying taxes. That's how they survive, and that's how they make their money and income. And they're, I mean, hey, I would do it too if we can find something. If we had 40 acres and a mule, we can put your 40 acres with my 40 acres, their 40 acres with their 40 acres, and we can put ourselves together uh, enough 40s that where we can build a whole city, build a town, Build a casino, do whatever we want on that. But we never got it. We never got it. In 1893, the federal government seized land from the native Hawaiians in Hawaii, and for no other purpose than the fact that they just could. They seized the land, they took it from them. Now, they were probably first because in 1920, Congress again approved the Hawaiian Home Commission, in which native Hawaiians and their descendants were able to get land leases. Now, that wasn't the best scenario, but it was something where they had gotten their land taken away from them, but then they were given back the land where they could lease their land back from the federal government who took their land in the first place, but they were able to do that for $1 for 99 years. If any of you know anything about Walt Disney, Walt Disney and all that property around Walt Disney is land leasing. Uh, the homes that are on all of Walt Disney property, because most of that part of Orlando that where um, uh, Disney is, they own all that land. So they built these houses and they sold these houses, uh, but they sell them as land leases. So they're able to basically purchase a property, but they're leasing the land for 99 years. And whenever that you know, individual dies or passes away, that land lease, the land piece, reverts back to Disney, and then whoever, you know, picks up the house or purchases the house, they then have to now put in a new land lease for another 99 years. So Disney is making their money hand over fist, similar like McDonald's. Everyone says McDonald's, the building is the real estate with McDonald's. That's how it is with Walt Disney. It's the real estate. They're leasing the land. You don't get to buy the house and keep the land. 
you get to keep the house, but you can't move the house. So since you can't move it, it's just leased. The land is just leased to you. So that's what, that's what called land leases. So that's what they did with the Native Hawaiians. And that was in 1920. Congress acted again in 1920. They acted in 1920 and 1946, right? So they did all that, and they were strategic in what they did and how they did it. But again, this is my point, is that Congress made the decision to do something. Congress initiated it and did something. Now, someone probably brought it up and said, hey, we need to do this, similar to like Shirley, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee has done and John Conyers did for at least 30 years now, talking about reparations. But yet we have yet to get any of them to approve it and get it passed through and get it to the Senate and passed through. You know, it, it, we'll see what happens. But and what, um, World War II, about 45, I think it was. So during World War II, many of you remember, we had the Japanese internment camps. So the Japanese internment camps, we were holding people prisoner and hostage and all that kind of stuff. And at one point, I believe it was in 1988. In 1988, Congress, in fact, it was my a California congressman, um, uh, Norm Mineta, uh, he proposed a bill for the Civil Liberties Act in 1988. Two years later, two years later. Now, I just told you, we've been introducing the H.R. 40 for, what, 30 years? John Conyers started, and then when he died, Sheila Jackson Lee's picked it up. Introducing that bill for 40, 30 years, it has, I don't think it's even gotten a vote yet. But in 88, Normanetta introduced the Civil Liberties Act, which was to pay reparations to the Japanese um, Americans who were held in the internment camps, 120,000 of them. 120,000 Japanese Americans were held in those camps all across the country. They received in two years not only the bill approving, but the bill funded, where in 1990, each one of them was $20,000. They got a check and an apology. There's a whole big ceremony. They got a check for $20,000, and in that letter, it also apologized for holding them in internment camps. Oh, excuse me. $20,000, $2.4 billion. So let's go back. Japanese Americans got $2.4 billion. Um, I think it was, uh, what did I tell you, Native Americans? Native Americans, 176 tribes, got $1.3 billion. So $3.7 billion have been paid out so far to them. Uh, Native Hawaiians are able to get their land back for a dollar. They got their land back for a dollar. Now, let's go to the 600 Brothers of Tuskegee, the Tuskegee Experiment. And if you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 516-590-0143. That's 516-590-0143. Or you can also uh, hit us up on the comment section uh, and let us know uh, what you think, how you feel about uh, reparations, 
about the voter bills and everything else that we're going to get to. So you had 600 brothers that were a part of the Tuskegee Institute um, experiment. That's what it was, right? 600 brothers shot up with syphilis. Some of them died. They go through the whole, whole gamut. Congress didn't step in. Congress didn't say, we're going to do this. Let's, let's correct this wrong. We use them as guinea pigs. Let's do this. No, Congress didn't do a D thing. They had to. The survivors and, and their family members had to file a class action lawsuit against the government. And they received $10 million. Million dollars. You heard those figures I told you about before, right? $2.4 billion, $1.3 billion. The brothers who were intentionally injected with syphilis died, passed it on, did everything they did during that time. They got $10 million. And it wasn't until 1997 that they get an apology for what had happened. So... You're sitting here, you strip Native Americans of their land. Not only do you give them $1.3 billion, but you give them federal land where they can build casinos on and never have to pay any federal taxes. Native Hawaiians, you give them land, their land back to them for a dollar for 99 years. Um, um, the, uh, who else was it? Um, Japanese. You give them $2.4 billion, $20,000 check each, and you apologize and send them on their way. Those brothers got $10 million. Now, you remember Black Wall Street, Rosewood? Those communities burnt down, tore down by racist white folks who just hated the fact that black folks had their own, tore down. They, too, had to go and petition, in Florida at least, because we know that uh, 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 Tulsa didn't give them anything. But in Florida, Rosewood, they actually gave them $2.1 million, the survivors. $2.1 million. Woo-woo! In Chicago, they had the similar thing happen as it, as it did also in, in North Carolina, um, and other parts of the country, but in Chicago, they paid black folks $5.5 million for a turn and beating them up and, and police brutality uh, for a class action lawsuit there. But notice that at no point did Congress step in and say, we're going to do this, and this is what we want to do. And so I, I, I'm talking about that and, and Congress and, what, and how that comes together with what I was saying earlier about the, uh, the voting rights and voting and what we need to do and how I feel it's like apartheid. It's coming together in a sense where laws have been put in place at the state level that are going to make it difficult to have Congress step in and pass because of the division in Congress and because of one test tube senator named uh, uh, Joe Manchin who – thinks that, oh, everything should be, you know, uh, uh, 
kumbaya and we should just all get along. Well, yeah, you should, but you don't. And Republicans can care less. And because they can care less, you want to care less more so for your Democratic colleagues than you do for your Republican colleagues. And you want to go to your Republican colleagues and stand with them. But I, I, I'm sensing and feeling like these things are like coming together. And this, this uh, 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 establishment of certain laws and bills that are coming through are going to impact us greater than we ever thought they would. And we're thinking 2021, everything is okay. Democrats won. Yeah, but Democrats can't do nothing. They can't pass a bill. Redistricting is coming up next year. I mean, later this year, they're going to redistrict and reapportion the districts in your state. Pay attention. Go now and look and see how many districts there are on your state, how many districts they have, how many Republican, how many Democrat, and then watch what happens in August and September, November, October of this year, later this year, so that when you get ready to vote and and uh, uh, the primaries next year, how those districts are going to be redrawn and see how many Democratic districts have been wiped out, how many Republican districts increase if you have a majority Republican state legislature and governor. Look and see what happens. Look and see what happens. I'm telling you now where it's going to be. I'm telling you right now what's going to happen. And, and, and that's what I'm thinking is going to happen because – They're going to make sure that for the next 10 years, they can control the state and Congress because those boundaries and those districts that are going to be drawn for the congressional level, there's a, I think it's an eight-seat differential to two, 216 to 202 or something like that. Uh, 13 seats. I don't think that means. I think it's. I think it's like a, a eight to nine seat differential between Democrats right now and Republicans. And if that's the case, you can almost guarantee that Democrats are going to lose the House in 2022. Quite frankly, they probably lose the Senate as well, unless independents and Republicans who don't like uh, the candidates that are out there stand with Democrats and vote. Because if that happens. Everything that Joe Biden is going to try to do is shut down. It's, it's, it's finished. It's done. Nothing will pass for the next two years until the presidential election. God forbid someone dies or something happens and another Supreme Court seat opens up and Mitch McConnell's in charge. You already know what's going to happen. You already know what's going to happen. And for Joe Manchin like this to come out there and say, oh, well, I don't want to do infrastructure and I don't want to raise corporate taxes to 25%. That's too high, or 28%, that's too high. How's that too high? They don't pay any taxes anyway. They, they did a study and showed, what, 200 of the largest corporations don't pay any taxes whatsoever. In fact, they get rebates from us, which is actually ridiculous. The Walmarts, the uh, Northrop Grumman's, all, they don't pay any taxes whatsoever, none. And why are you complaining about them having to pay 25 or 28% when they're not going to pay anything anyway? So you structure, you restructure it so that the quote-unquote real small business, the guy who is a mom and pop, 
Well, he's not even in the tax bracket anyway, but the real mom and pop, they're the ones who typically put that on their own personal 1040 and do a Schedule C, that they're going to get the benefit out of that anyway. But if they're actually filing corporate taxes, then you make it so that it's uh, um, um, got prevailing. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Um, where, you know, if they're, if they're at a million dollars, they pay one rate. But if they're at 10 million, they pay a different rate. And you do it like that. Um, so you don't hurt the true small business guy. But, I mean, hey, if he's making a million dollars a year, how small is he? That seems like a lot of sales to me. But that whole idea is that we can't, you know, we can't, you know, make them pay their way. They never pay their way. It's you, me, and everybody else that pays our way and their way. So what are we going to do about it? We have to do something about it. Therefore, we need to make sure that the policies and bills that are passed at our state level and our federal level have our best interests at heart. And if you're not paying attention, you don't know what your best interest is. You don't know what your best interest is. So look at the bills, look at the laws, and find out what's going to happen. I'm telling you right now, redistricting, check it out. See what's going to happen because it's going to come up, right? It's going to come up. And when it does, what are we going to ha- what's going to happen when those districts that you used to vote in, that used to be Democratic vote, uh, districts or independent districts or even Republican districts, but now have been skewed so far to the right that there is no way Democrats would ever be able to recoup or regain any type of seating, you're going to see what's going to happen. So why are we going through this? Why is this happening? Why is voter suppression an issue? Why are we going backwards instead of forwards? Because if we were progressive as we're supposed to be, and if we kept going forward like we're supposed to be, then Republicans would never win a race. They would never win a seat because they don't have ideas. They don't have policies that, that appeal to the majority of the people in their districts, it only uh, uh, appeals to a small conservative amount, i.e. quality of vote rather than quantity of vote. That's why they don't want you to vote. They don't care if they're treading on your rights. You don't have any rights with them. They can care less. You got voting rights? Who cares? We don't care about you. Drop boxes in Georgia. The dude they called um, two weeks ago saying, oh, I support the Georgia law. Drop boxes in Georgia are now being put in the county office. Whereas, let me, let me play this. Um, this is what I, let me play this right here. This other fool. Uh, let me see, is it this one? I think it's this one. Here. Let me play this for you. I think Rich Lowry is uh, right on target. And it's, it's very sad that, that some of our leaders, and particularly the leader of the free world, would be involved in disseminating uh, information that is untrue. I wonder if these people actually understand history. Do they know what Jim Crow laws actually were? They were a mechanism to uh, diminish the rights that many blacks had gained during Reconstruction. Wait a minute. Did he just say, did, did, did I just hear him say, how dare the leader of the free world Tell a lie? Did I just hear that? Did you just hear that? What lie did Joe Biden tell? Because we know what lies Donald Trump told. But what lie did Joe Biden tell? 
the fact that it was Jim Crow 2.0? He says, I want someone to come and tell me, how is this Jim Crow? What? Listen to this. In history, do they know what Jim Crow laws actually were? They were a mechanism to uh, diminish the rights that many blacks had gained during Reconstruction and to enforce segregation. And the things that people went through in those days were horrendous. And to compare that with uh, Senate Bill 202, which actually expands rights. Yeah, some of us know what Jim Crow is and was. And understand why I said is and was. Because even though it's not as egregious as it was then, it's still egregious today. It's still Jim Crow 2.0 because that's exactly what they're doing, uh, Ben Carson. That's exactly what's happening. I mean, you're brain surgeon. You're supposed to be smart. Clearly, you're not as smart as you think you are, right? Or at least unless you're supposed to be. But then again, you could just be lying to play up to your Fox viewers because the truth of the matter is by putting in voter suppression laws, you're doing exactly what they did during Jim Crow. You're stopping them from being able to vote. Putting in mechanisms that's requiring them to have to pay for something, ID, in order for them to vote is Jim Crow. Stopping voting and ability to vote on Sunday because you don't want souls to the polls because the souls that go to the polls are black, but you're okay with Saturday voting, that's a form of Jim Crow because you're blocking them to vote. Or how about this? You had 94 voter boxes, um, 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 ballot boxes. You had 94 ballot boxes in Fulton County, Cobb County, um, Gwinnett County, and DeKalb County. And this time around, you're only going to have 23. Huh. That's not saying they're trying to depress the black vote and stop them from being able to vote. So, yeah, uh, Ben Carson, there is no expansion of voting. And, in fact, those ballot boxes that used to be on the street corner, they're now going into the county building where they can only do early voting from 9 to 5. 9 to 5. On election day, they're going 7 to 7. But in early voting, they're going to do 9 to 5, and they can only do it in the county building when they're working, and they can't take off for work to get over there, so they can't early vote. So then they have to be able to either come on that Saturday that you're going to allow them to come on Saturday, or they have to come on election day and stand in line. And while they're in line, they can't get no darn water. And you know what I really wanted to say. Okay? So, yeah, Ben Carson, it is racist. It is Jim Crow. It's a form of Jim Crow. Because you're just using today's technology or today's um, abilities to, to set up things where you can shield them and block black folks off without really saying it like they did during Jim Crow. They was real blatant about it then. You just can't do it now because it's too much political correctness and all this other stuff that you guys don't like. You don't want to deal with. So think about it from this way. If Donald Trump would have won the election, would we have 400 plus bills uh, going through 47 state legislatures to reform voting access? Hell no, we wouldn't have that. So, yeah, that's racist, too. 
the mere fact that Georgia said throughout their um, counting of votes, there was no voter fraud, there was no voter fraud, there was no voter fraud, but then they put the bills in saying we have to protect the integrity of the vote. The integrity was already protected. It was already done. I mean, let's look at some of these bills. In Texas, they had drive-through voting last year in Houston. They cut that out. They blocked 24-hour voting through, that, through the drive-through. They cut that out. They cut the hours of early voting. They cut that out. They removed the authorities of the county election officials, the same thing they did in Georgia. They cut that out. You can't send out a vote-by-mail ballot unless the person actually asks for it, because if you do, that's considered um, solicitation and bribing the voter, because you sent them an application, not a ballot, an application for a ballot. That's wrong. And it allows for partisan poll workers greater access and authority to watch the, the vote counts and to be as close or far away as they need to be. But then they also have some authority to tell the actual county worker what to do with the ballots. It requires the people. These are te- this is Texas. It requires a person helping. So grandma has arthritis in her hand, can't write, can't do something. Or she may have dementia like my mother or something like that happened. So if I were to help my mother and I lived in Texas, I would then have to swear an affidavit out of why my mother needs help to vote. And then she has to certify that she needs that help. Now, in the event or in the case of my mother with dementia, today she may understand. Tomorrow she may not. So I could go to jail because they, they, they charge you as a felony to the can of kidnapping. You know, kidnapping is a serious felony. So by me helping my mother vote, I'm in the same category as a kidnapper. A kidnapper. And then it blocks souls to the polls. And Georgia does similar things. Georgia moved the drop boxes, as I said, into the county buildings. So they limited access. It's nine to five. So Ben Carson, it doesn't expand access. Uh, it removes the authority for the county elections. It puts in a Republican-controlled, because Republicans control the state Senate and the House, it puts in a Republican-controlled board to oversee all the county um, authority over the elections. It bans people from providing food or water to anyone in line. It removes 71 drop boxes in Fulton, Cobb, DeKalb, and Gwinnett counties, that 93 to uh, 94 to 23, uh, it stops souls to the polls. And like I said, it puts that control board in place. And then it also removes no excuse absentee, which they used to have in Georgia, uh, that the Republicans actually passed. That's the thing about it. Just like Philadelphia, Republicans passed these bills, was not expecting Democrats and black folks to catch on and use it. And then when they did, they're like, oh, hell, now we got to change the law again. <laughs> they didn't wise up on us. Oh, no, we can't let that happen. No, no, no. We got to put these boys back in their place. So we got to do something different here. Clearly, all these provisions aren't there for the purpose of stopping any voter fraud. None of these, none of these stop voter fraud. The closest, the closest thing you can get to 
and I'm even hesitant to say that, would be someone helping out a family member. But if they're helping the family member and the family member is like, baby, who should I vote for? Well, Big Mom, you should vote for Paul Sanders. He's going to put in more benefits for older people and not take them away like Peter Johnson is. If I were to do that, by Texas law, I've now assisted her in determining who she wants to vote for, and I can go to jail, be charged, and be facing sentencing as if I had kidnapped someone and taken them off somewhere. That's ridiculous. Absolutely stupid. Because we know for a fact that every one of those Republicans that went, uh, that, that get their absentee ballot at home and them, you know, whoever they are and their wife and their kids, they sit down and they do their straight Republican ticket and tell them who to vote for, what to do this, what to do that, or which Republican to vote for during the primary. And we know they do it. There's no if, answer, buts about it. Because remember, they've already told us they want the quality of the vote, not the quantity of the vote. So if that's what they want, that's what they're doing. They're trying to determine the, quanti- the quality of it by who they vote for. So to, to hold somebody else accountable for something that you're going to do yourself, I mean, we, we know the Republicans are hypocritical. I mean, look at, look at uh, Mitch McConnell and everybody else in that whole Republican Party. That's what they do. That's who they are. So none of these provisions you can't ask, you can't send out an unsolicited vote-by-mail application. It's an application. How does that prevent voter fraud? They turn in the application. They have to sign the application. They have to give their ID for the application. They have to do all this stuff for the application. So you know who it's going to. It's not a ballot. There's no fraud. But this is what they want to put in place. This is how they want to how, to, how they want to make sure that you, your family, your friends don't vote. They want you to get frustrated and fed up enough where they put enough barriers in place that will stop you from voting. I'm, I'm really just sick and tired of it. I, 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 I wish Democrats had a message and would articulate their message and talk about what's happening, why it's happening, and what the results of what's happening will be because when they don't and when they don't articulate what's at stake for us, that's when many people decide that, Oh, everything is okay. because Joe Biden is president or, Oh, everything is okay because uh, Democrats have the house and the Senate. Everything is okay. No, it's not. No. You need to make sure that you are paying attention and that you are actively engaged in the process to know exactly what's going on. And when you're not and when you don't, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your bottom line, which is your everyday occurrence, and it's going to hurt what happens in the future. So when you don't pay attention and when you don't decide that you're going to be engaged and you're going to be active and you're going to sit back and do nothing, that's when 
it comes up to bite you. So black America, please, please pay attention. Don't sit back. Don't just allow someone else to go and put in place these laws and these um, uh, roadblocks that are going to affect you and how you're able to get out there and vote. Don't let it happen. Get out there. Run for office. Join a cause. Become a blogger or a podcaster. Whatever you decide, go out there and do it. Take your family. Engage your community. Engage your neighbors. Engage your your siblings and, and your friends. Start having dialogue and conversation about what's going on. If these corporations come together as they say they are, these 200 corporations that met this past weekend, they said that they were going to uh, engage in making sure that they would either stop contributing to Republican candidates who support these laws or they're going to engage their, their, um, their general uh, organization and how to deal with it and activate the organization, give paid time off and all these other things to try to engage themselves uh, politically. If that happens, great. But don't count on it. Don't depend on it. We have to do this for ourselves. The, you know, the old saying is nobody's going to do anything for you except you. We're not going to be able to do this. You know, we can do it collectively as a community, which is what we need to do. But we certainly have to get out there and do something. Because if we don't and we keep sitting back, it's going to be the same old thing over and over again. Similarly to uh, the incident that we had in, in uh, Minnesota last night, another black unarmed brother getting shot. And similarly to the issues and the instance we had, uh, it was back in December, but the video just came out of the uh, Virginia uh, uh, police uh, pepper, pepper spraying and throwing on the ground um, uh, this Army lieutenant who driving wherever he was going, asking, you know, hey, what's going on? What's happening? I'm afraid to get out the car. And the cop tells him, you should be afraid. We about to, we about to, uh, you're about to ride the lightning, and he thought that meant that he was about to get lit up, shot up, and killed. And so he's like, "Hey, I'm afraid to get out of the car. Please tell me what's going on. Let me know what's happening and why are your guns drawn on." I mean, as soon as they pulled up on the car, they drew their guns out. And you know why they drew the guns out? Because they weren't paying attention. He was driving without a license plate on the car, but it was a brand new SUV, but the temporary in the window. You could see it if you looked. He didn't look. And therefore, he called for a felony car stop, which means they come out of the car, guns drawn, drag you out, put you on the ground, and handcuff you for doing absolutely nothing but driving your vehicle Legally, but because you did not take the time to look in the back window of the very car you're following, you decided to pull this man out, put your gun to his face, pepper spray him, and throw him on the ground. And now, not only did you get fired for that, now your city is facing a lawsuit in the department because of simply not paying attention, and escalating something that did not need to be escalated. That's why. 
And that's why we have to be vigilant and dutiful to make sure that we watch out, be careful, because, hey, trigger fingers are happy. And unfortunately, cops that don't look like me or you, they're happy too. And they was just as soon as shoot and say, oops, I'm sorry, then give you the benefit of the doubt. So please, get involved, get engaged. Pay attention to what's going on out there and definitely make sure that you get out there and vote and register and re-register and keep re-registering because they're going to take you off the rolls. They're going to purge you. They're going to do whatever they can to do. Until next week, if it's social, economic, or political, it's Black Politics Today. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, I just had to get on my soapbox tonight, so I appreciate you dealing with it, hanging with me, uh, and, uh, and allowing me to go ahead and, and say what I had to say. But certainly, uh, next week, you know, hopefully we won't have anything else in the news outside of something good and tangible, uh, infrastructure bill passes or something like that. But whatever it is, if it's social, economic, or political, it's going to be black politics today. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to Black Politics Today on I for What's at Stake in Global Politics with your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Join us live each Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. Until next time, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and download us on iTunes at Black Politics Today.